In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tonight, our Bible study from the book of Psalms, Psalm 41. Psalm 41. Let's start with introduction. The title of this psalm, To the Chief Musician, a Psalm of David. Chief Musician, like the head of the choir, the master of the choir. And according to the Syrian version, the title, A Psalm of David, when he appointed overseers to take care of the poor. So when David made like a committee of the people to take care of the poor, he composed this psalm. But according to the Arabic version, the title of this psalm, it is a prophecy concerning the incarnation and also the salutation of Judas, as we're going to see together when we study this psalm. The occasion on which it was composed is not certainly known, but it seems to have been the ill treatment David had from his enemies during his afflictions, like the ill treatment he got from counselor called Ahithophel. That's why some suggest that since David was the author of the psalm and he made a reference to the false friend, the false friend in case of David is Ahithophel. But in case of the Lord Jesus Christ as a prophecy, it is Judas, Judas the Iscariot. So the psalm must be written shortly before the outbreak of Absalom rebellion and the support of Ahithophel to Absalom. Absalom was the son of David. This psalm speaks of the mercy that God shows for his suffering children. So when we suffer, God shows mercy on us. As compared to the treatment the suffering children receive from those of the world. When we suffer, the world treats us ill, bad. But God will have mercy upon us. This psalm is included in the psalms of the third hour of the Agbaya. And the Jews divided the book of Psalm into five sections. The first section in, from Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. So this psalm is the end of the first section of the book of Psalms according to the Jewish classification. And there are some similarities between Psalm 1 and Psalm 41. For example, both of them uh, start with the word blessed, Psalm 1 and Psalm 41. Also, this psalm is a prophetic, addressing the evil behavior of the wicked toward our Lord and his children, as we will see in this psalm. Also, this psalm is a prophetic about the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, his passion, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus Christ was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, and this is evidently the great theme of this psalm, the betrayal of Judas to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even our Lord applied verse 9 from this psalm to the betrayal of Judas, as we read in John 13 and verse 18. The outline of this psalm from verse 1 to 3, God blesses those who have mercy on the poor. From verse 4 to 9, the betrayal of the hypocrites. From 10 to 13, 
God gives the victory to his children. So let's start from verse 1. Verse 1. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Psalm 40, David concluded by calling himself poor and needy. So now he starts Psalm 41 by proclaiming a blessing on all those who consider, consider means tenderly regard and assist the poor and afflicted. And the word poor here, blessed is he who considers the poor, the word poor here is broader than actual poverty. Poor here include the sick, the weak, the helpless, those who are in affliction, all those are considered under the word poor. And blessed is he who considers the poor. The word consider means to attend to, to show an interest in, to care for. So the person who attend to the poor, he will be blessed. Those who do not neglect, those who do not overlook, those who are not indifferent or uncaring, those who are not hard-hearted and uncharitable. So those who consider the poor are those who are willing to give from their own resources. To consider the poor means I am willing to give from my own resources. Have generous hearts and help those who likely will not help them in return. So I help people who cannot actually return this help. That is the poor, helping the poor, considering the poor. And the first blessing, those who consider the poor, the Lord will deliver him in the time of trouble. So this begins a list of several blessings that comes to the generous person. And this is like a statement of general principle that the Lord will deal with us as we do with others. So if we have compassion over the poor, God will have compassion over us. If we consider the poor in the day of their tribulation, God will deliver me in the time of trouble. So caring for others is not only a command we have to obey, but it is a wise thing to do. Why? Because it leads to special blessings by God. In the same way, to be selfish, malice, unkindness are not only sinful, but they are foolish because God will not bless such actions if I'm selfish or have malice or unkindness. St. John Chrysostom says, How great is the rank of the poor to be considered as the brethren of the Lord. The poor may stretch his hand begging, but it is the Lord who receives your gift. So the poor stretch his hand to beg. But when you give him the, uh, your gift, who will receive the gift? The Lord will receive the gift. Also, the poor in verse 1 can be a prophecy about Jesus Christ. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, He was rich, yet for your sakes 
he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. The second blessing in verse 2, the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive and he will be blessed on earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. So in verse 2, there are four blessings. The Lord will preserve him, keep him alive. He will be blessed on earth. He will not be delivered to the will of his enemies. So the Lord will preserve him, revive and restore him. Either he will preserve him from trouble, or if God sees that trouble is necessary or suitable for him, he may allow man to suffer and to fall into this trouble, but he will raise him out of it at the end. To keep him alive means his spiritual life is safe and secure because Christ lives. And if Christ lives in me, the person shall live also and shall never die the second death or never hurt by the second death, which is the eternal condemnation, but shall have everlasting life. Then verse 2, and he will be blessed on earth with temporal blessing because whatever he has on earth either much or little he has it with the blessing of God also will be blessed on earth with spiritual blessing not only with temporal blessing but with spiritual blessing like peace forgiveness a right to eternal glory and happiness also he will be blessed in the new earth as we read in the book of Revelation, I saw a new heaven, a new earth. So this person will be blessed in the new earth, in which righteousness will dwell, and where he will dwell and live with Christ. And the last blessing in verse 2, you, God, will not deliver him to the will of his enemies, not into the will of Satan, because what is the will of Satan for us? To destroy us. St. Augustine comments, on the word his enemies and says the enemy is the devil let none think of a man his enemy don't consider another person your enemy when he hears these words verse 3 the Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness another blessing the Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness you will sustain him on his sick bed you will sustain him on his sick bed according to saint augustine the bed here refers to the spiritual weakness so mean when i am spiritually sick for the soul troubled by sin find pleasures in the pleasures of the body as though on a comfortable bed yet it is a bed of illness a bit of spiritual illness. So the Lord will strengthen him. And the Lord in his compassion ask him and as he said to the paralytic man, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. So the blessing of those who consider the poor include deliverance in the time of trouble, specifically in the day of judgment. 
the last day of judgment and he will be preserved from tribulation and be granted the new life in Christ those who will help others will themselves be helped when they need help and those who show mercy on others will themselves be shown mercy when they need it as we read a man reaps what he sows if you sow mercy and compassion you will reap also mercy and compassion verse 4 I said Lord be merciful to me heal my soul for I have sinned against you the psalmist turn at verse 4 from considering the blessedness of the compassionate man to contemplation on his own affliction and suffering now he is contemplating on his own suffering and affliction his own sinfulness is the worst of all his woes and the root and origin of them all so he understands that his suffering and affliction because of his sinfulness and he understands unless that is cured all other help is vain so the psalmist does not appear here to refer to any particular major act of sin but to his sins in general he is not referring when he said Lord be merciful to me heal my soul for I have sinned against you he is not referring to a particular sin but in general to his sins he appeals to mercy as one that knew he could not stand the test of true justice and that is what we do in the divine liturgy when Abuna says and he appointed a day for recompense in which he will appear to judge the world in righteousness and give each one according to his deeds how we respond let it be according to your mercy O Lord and not according to our sins so every time we remember the day of judgment the righteousness and the justice of God we appeal to his mercy and we say according to your mercy O Lord and not according to our sins also uh, maybe David was sick also physical sometimes sometimes not all the time the bodily sickness is a sign and symptom of spiritual disease so he pleads to be healed of both the spiritual illness and the physical illness and he admit I have sinned against you he understood that his sins were directed against God I have sinned against you not against my brother not against my friend any sin we commit is directed toward God so David made a plain and honest confession of his sins without excuse and with honesty and earnestness he did not find excuse to himself he did not try to justify himself he said I have sinned against David knows that the discipline come from God and through this discipline God can heal the person as we read in Hosea chapter 6 verse 1 come and let us return to the Lord for he has torn but he will heal us he has stricken but he will bind us up so yes the Lord has torn disciplined us why because he will heal us he has stricken us but why because he will bind us up so we ought to seek this spiritual healing 
more earnest than bodily health. We need, usually when we are physically ill, we ask for healing. What, what about our souls when we are spiritually ill? We need actually to seek the spiritual healing more earnestly than the bodily health. Verse 5, my enemies speak evil of me. What his enemies were saying, when, he, when will he die and his name perish? Like Absalom, his son, he wanted David to die in order to take the kingdom from him. So my enemies speak evil of me when he will die and his name perish. David knew the hurt and difficulty of evil and the lies spread about him. Like believer of all ages, we suffer people spread false rumors about us, they spread lies about us. The enemies of early Christianity and of all ages speak evil of the followers of Christ and they speak lies. It was their nature to do and speak evil. The enemies of Christ usually speak evil. They are children of Satan and Satan is a liar and father of every liar. For example, David, Absalom has stolen away the hearts of the children of Israel from David by misrepresenting him. Shem'i had followed the same example, adding cursing to his misrepresentation. So Shem'i cursed David also. Absalom partners and assistants generally no doubt joined in spreading these lies. So David's enemies spoke evil of him and further they desired and anticipated his death. Why? As explained, in order to take the kingdom. While he suffered, while David suffered, they rejoiced, expecting his death and intended that his name should perish. One test of true friendship is their reaction when one is afflicted. Pop Shenouda used to say the time of affliction is the time that will show you who are your friends and who are your... A true sign of an enemy and of hatred is when one takes delight in the sickness of others. Those who delight in my suffering, they are my enemies. And that is removed by Satan because Satan wishes to destroy and wipe out the children of God. According to some, this is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 4 can be, uh, verse 5 can be a prophecy. My enemies, the enemies of Christ, speak evil of me. When he will die, they said to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. And his name perished. They wanted his name to perish. So, it is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, falsely accused by his enemies, who plotted to kill him several times and wished his name perish. The Jews were his enemies and his people's doctrines and teaching. So the Jews were enemies to Jesus, to the people of Jesus, to the doctrine of Jesus and to the teaching of Jesus and would not have him to reign over them. They refused him to be his king their spiritual king. They spoke evil of him, charged him with being a glutton and a wine-bibber. They said about Jesus, he's a glutton man and wine-bibber. They said he had a devil. He was a Samaritan, attributed his miracles to diabolical influence. 
they labeled his doctrine with blasphemy and wished him ill, saying, when will he die? They had tried to kill Jesus privately, but then decided to deliver him up to the Roman governor. And Christ died, but his name did not perish. The martyrs died, but the church grew. His disciples prayed, Grant to your servant that with all boldness they may speak your word, as we read in Acts 4.29. And as St. Paul said in Romans 10.18, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Verse 6, And if he comes to see me, when the enemy comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. So, when a person pretends that he is the friend of David and go and check on him, but he speaks lies, he tells him, I care about you, I love you, but his heart gathers iniquity to itself. And when he goes out, he speaks evil of David. So David knew of, or at least could sense, the whispered conspiracies set in motion against him meant to devise his hurt. So David knew that they were whispering conspiracies against him in order to hurt him. That's why in verse 7 he said, All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devised my hurt. So they were planning to hurt him. Against me they devised my hurt. They put their heads together to plan and conspire. Achitophel and the rest of the counselors of Epsilon did the same. And the same happened with Jesus Christ when the chief priests and the Pharisees conspired together to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. Even men are good at devising. They are deep thinkers, but their aim and goal is the hurt of the faithful. That's what they want to reach, to hurt the faithful. Verse 8, An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. So that's what they're going to say. Evil disease clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. So, evil disease, they may have been, this may have been true of David. He described such a time of illness in Psalm 38, verses 3, and from verse 6 to 8. So, David's enemies were happy at the thought that they might, he might die and rise up no more. So, when they knew that he is sick, they were happy and said, evil illness clings to him. He will rise up no more. This prophecy was realized also in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the high priest, the priest, the scribe, the Pharisees, Pontius Pilate, Herod, gathered together against the Lord Jesus Christ. They whispered among themselves. They had counsel in secret and condemned him against the law with the assumption that when he dies and buried, he will rise up no more. So, they, they wished that he, after he dies, they, he will not rise up anymore. 
And all those who attended his trial, his scourging, his crucifixion, spoke vain words against him. Verse 9, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted. In the case of David, it is uh, Absalom. Uh, sorry, it's Absalom, his son, yes, and Achitophel. But in the case of Jesus Christ, who is a familiar friend, Judas, one of his disciples, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, because Judas was with the Lord at the table uh, of the Passover on Thursday, he lifted up his heel against me. He turned it against me. He lifted up his heel against So, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, David singles out one particular enemy who used to be his friend. Who is this in the case of David? Achitophel is almost certainly intended. He was David's official counselor. David trusted in him. But these words were literally fulfilled in David. But the Holy Spirit, which inspired these words, looked further in them to Jesus Christ. And Judas is a familiar friend in whom, actually, these words were fulfilled and accomplished more. The Lord Jesus Christ was tested in all manner of testing that we are experienced even the betrayal of his friends. So the Lord Jesus went through all the trials and all the testing that we go through, even the betrayal of the friend. Even the Lord Jesus Christ cited verse 9 of this psalm when he referred to Judas in John 13:18. The Lord said when he referred to Judas who would betray him, he said, the Lord Jesus, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats my bread with me has lifted up his seal against me. So the Lord quoted this verse when he spoke about Judah. Jesus knew who would betray him. And by betraying the Son of God, Judas lifted his heel against him, against Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ treated Judas as his friend at the rest of the apostles and called him to ministry as an apostle and one of the twelve. He entrusted him with the treasury, but Judas betrayed him. And as this verse was fulfilled in, the, in David's life and in the life of Jesus, so it had been fulfilled in the life of countless saints throughout the ages. Many of the righteous, the martyrs, the saints were betrayed by familiar friends. As John told us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Because it hated Christ before. Don't marvel if the world hates you. We should not be surprised by the world's hatred. For the world does not know who to love. The world does not have the love of God. Because the ruler of the world is Satan. The word love is foreign to the world. The love of the world is self-centered. That's the love of the world. Selfish love. Self-centered. Verse 10. But you, O Lord... Be merciful to me, and raise me up that I may repay them. The psalmist passes from complaint to prayer. After he complained from verse 4 to 9, now he is turning this complaint to prayer. And once more calls on God to deliver him. But you, O Lord, in contrast to their animosity, I want you to be merciful to me and raise me up. 
they don't want me to be to rise up but i'm asking you to have mercy upon me and raise me up david prayed not only for forgiveness and deliverance as in verse 4 but also for triumph over his enemies that i may repay them it's not necessarily to understand this as indicating an unforgiving spirit but it ha- he is asking that God give them what they deserve. So it's not about forgiveness, but David asked God for justice, to give them what they deserve. And also we must remember that David was the king of the land. So as a king of the land, he has authority and has responsibility to keep justice on the kingdom. As a king, it was David's God's given duty to governors as to those who are sent by him for punishment of evildoers and for praise of those who do good as we read first peter chapter 2 verse 14. so david as a, as a governor as a king it's his duty to punish the evildoers and to praise those who do good when we apply verse 10 to the lord jesus christ the jews assumed that he died he was buried he will not rise anymore but having died for our sake and in our name he is risen as well in our name to cry out saying be merciful on me and raise me up because jesus is risen i in jesus will be risen too jesus being our representative in obedience he died in obedience he rose for us to become in him children of obedience and the object of the pleasure to God the Father. So Jesus obeyed God the Father. He died and he rose. So in him will be children of obedience and will be the object of the pleasure of God the Father. Also, as we read in John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus had the power to lay his life down and had the power to take it again, as he proclaimed. So the time all of us when we die, we don't control the moment of our death. This comes to us. But for Jesus is different. Because he is immortal. He laid down his soul in the economy. According to his economy. According to the moment he determined. And he took it up again in his resurrection. That's why we say accurately he accepted death unto himself. He allowed death to approach him. He accepted death. St. Augustine comments. Yet, lest you think that God the Father of Christ could raise up Christ, that is, the flesh of his Son, and that Christ himself, though he be the Word equal with the Father, could not raise up his own flesh. So, St. Augustine said, If anyone believes that Jesus cannot rise by himself, and he needs the Father to raise him, hear out of the Gospel, destroy this temple and in three days i will raise it up so the lord said destroy this temple the body and i will raise it up so he has authority over his own flesh but said the evangelist lest even after this we should doubt he spoke of the temple of his body raise me up again and i will requit them or repay them the restoration of our lord jesus christ his resurrection would be a sign of the divine favor 
and pledge of his victory over his enemies. As we read in verse 11, By this I know that you are well pleased with me. David told him, When you raise me up, I know that you are pleased with me, because my enemy does not triumph over me. When my enemy does not triumph over me, I know that you are pleased with me. So, the restoration of David and the Lord Jesus Christ is a sign of the divine favor and a pledge of his victory over his enemies. After all that David had been through, after all the things that David went through, the Lord had still not allowed his enemies to ultimately triumph over him. David is so confident that the Lord was favoring him as he reviews that amazing fact. So he has confidence, hope that God actually is pleased with him. Yes, so many are against David, yet David was still standing, as he said in verse 12, As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. You uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. Speaking of Christ, Judas could not triumph. He was quickly taken away and all the woes fall upon him. He killed himself. Nor did Satan triumph over Jesus. The enemy of Christ could not triumph over the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor the Jews. For those they were highly delighted when they crucified Jesus, when he was dead and laid, laid in the grave, they thought they triumphed over him. Yet they knew he should rise again on the third day, on which day he did rise, and his apostles preached that he was alive. So they realized that he rose from the dead, and they knew that he rose from the dead, so they did not triumph over him. St. Augustine described how Jesus responded to the Jews' insult and says, For if on their saying these things he had come down from the cross, so if Jesus came down from the cross, he would have seemed as it were to yield to them insulting. So when they told him, if you are son of God, God, come down, if Jesus did so, then he yielded to their insulting and not being able to endure reproach would have been believed conquered. In this way, Jesus would be conquered by them. He taught us plainly patience by not actually responding to them. For mightier is that which he did, who would not do what the Jews challenged. If he responded to their challenge and came down from the cross, this would be weakness. But what he did, he endured the reproach, this actually showed that he is strong. For much mightier is it to rise from the sepulchre than to come down from the cross. And later on, on the third day, he rose from the death which actually is mightier than descending from the cross. That's the end of the quote of St. Augustine. So David felt that in contrast to his enemies, he was a man of integrity. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. His enemies had no integrity, but David is a man of integrity. Still, he needed God to uphold him in his integrity recognizing that it was God's work in him. This integrity is not my own work. It is the grace of God working on me. 
So David's integrity came from his being upheld by the Lord. David's integrity came from the fact he is being upheld by the Lord. If the Lord let go of him, he wouldn't have integrity. This was the most important thing to David, more important than triumph over his enemies, that the Lord uphold him in his integrity. And also to be set before the face of God, which means to enjoy his favor, to enjoy the pleasure of God, to enjoy fellowship with God. And notice that all the benefits of verse 11 and 12 are in the present tense, not in the past. As for me, by this I know that you are well pleased with me right now, because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. All these are the in, in, um, in present tense. David did not believe that God would bring them to him. He believed that he had them already. So David did not ask to bring the, the, the enemies to him to conquer in the future. David was speaking as if he already had them already and he conquered them already because of his trust and confidence in God. Also the word my integrity here, as for me, you uphold me and my integrity refers to Jesus Christ who is sinless, who is the one without sin. He was perfect before God and men, perfect in his obedience and in his sacrifice. He brought in a perfect righteousness, made complete atonement and obtained full salvation and redemption for all his people, those who believe in him. As we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. The last verse of this psalm, verse 13, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, Amen and Amen. Then David ends this psalm with a sexology, with a praise. This is the end of book one. As I told you, they divided the book of Psalm into five sections or five books. First book from first Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. So this is the end of book one of the Psalms. And each book of the books ends with sexology, with praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Let the Lord God of Israel be praised, honored, worshipped. The Lord is to be praised and as the eternal God. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We say in the Divine Liturgy, it is meet and right, it's befitting, it is proper to praise you, to worship you, to glorify you. It was fitting for David to end the song with his eyes on the Lord, not upon himself or his enemies, and to give praise to God. Amen and Amen signifies confirmation of this zoxology. This actually concludes Psalm 41 from the book of Psalms. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.